Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Um, good to be back in the room together again for worship. It is so good. And uh, thank you to everybody who's dialed in. If you're sitting on your couch drinking coffee, we love you too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we are in a series of messages called Unconfined. And the idea behind this series is to look at the idea that the experiences that we've all been having in the past few months um, could start to seep inside of our soul, and we could get kind of cornered into a confined space. And not just what's happened in these last few months, but really throughout life, there are experiences, there are things that can happen that can push us into uh, small places, and we want to live lives that are characterized by God's abundance and not by a confined place. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite scriptures, John 10.10, 10, uh, says this, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So, so we, we're not even the kind of people that say the glass is half full. <laughs> we say the glass is overflowing with abundance. And so, uh, and, and I was taught early on by my, my, my first pastor. He said, all ministry is overflow of your relationship with the Lord. And so, when you get filled with peace, when you get filled with love, when you get filled with joy, when you get filled with blessing, it all overflows. And that would be the exact place we want to be, not a confined place, but an abundant place. So what we've been looking at is uh, Israel, uh, Judges 6, 7, and 8, those chapters in there has been under Midianite oppression for seven years, and God is working on a man's life called Gideon to lead them out of their oppression and out of their confinement. And uh, so we've been, we've been looking at this for a few weeks, and uh, if you haven't listened to these messages or haven't been able to access them, I would encourage you to do so. We've been talking about how God starts the whole process of unconfined by literally working on Gideon's outlook on God, uh, on himself, on life, and the truth is, if it doesn't start within your own outlook, it doesn't matter what happens around you. You've got to have a perspective that God is for you, God is with you, God wants to bless you, God wants to use you, and God wants your life to be full of joy and peace, love. You gotta have that going on inside of you, or nothing that happens outside of you will, will be able to help you. And then we started looking at some of the principles of starting right where you are, about understanding the power of an assignment, uh, about unleashing the power of one, which is this idea that each one of us can make a difference. God can use each one, but there's also a beautiful power to when we become one. And then we started looking at the idea that Gideon was so uh, riddled with insecurity in his life, but God was instilling the confidence factor in him. And then we, we looked at the idea that you got to overcome the conflict, <laughs> the inward conflict, the fears, 
uh, that are within you, the insecurities that are within you, the things that are within you, but also we got to recognize that we are waging a war against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness is what the Bible calls it, and we got to recognize that we are stepping into a war. Today, I want to talk about this idea for, for a few moments, that, that when the Lord is with you, when the Lord is with you, and the idea that I want to kind of just drill down on and hammer on for a few moments is this, that God with you or you with God always makes a winning team. So the, the journey for Gideon starts in a place that it needs to start with us. Judges 6.12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, and I think the order is important. He doesn't say, you're a valiant warrior, the Lord is with you. He says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And I, I want everybody to leave today uh, or to, to watch as you do online and recognize that the Lord is with you. Come on, thank you for seven people getting excited about that. Everybody say, the Lord is with me. The Lord is for you. The Lord is near you. Romans 8 verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who? could possibly be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You know, that almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And the whole process, the whole story with Gideon, if, if and I'm not gonna read all the verses, because, but I, I wanna talk about this, that the whole process for Gideon, when the angel of the Lord first showed up to him, he said, hang on just a minute, let me go get a sacrifice and, and let fire fall from heaven to let me know the Lord is really with me. That, and then you, it, we all know about the idea of Gideon's fleece, where he, he said, Lord, I'm gonna put a fleece out, and one day the fleece was supposed to be wet and the ground was supposed to be dry. Another day it was the opposite. And the whole concept behind this was Gideon making a determination, God, are you with me on this one? And this... This is a huge revelation to get and, and to hold on to that God is for you. God is not against you, ever. He is conspiring behind the scenes for your good, for your blessing, for your life. He is with you. He's not at a distance. He is close. He is close as your heart, close as your mouth, and God wants your good. God wants your blessing. 
God wants you to flourish in life. And I think that uh, that idea getting cemented inside of our thinking that a good God is for you and a good God is with you and a good God who wants to bless you. Hey, listen, if you get that idea right, you are starting from the right place. If you, don't, if you can't get that idea right, everything that follows after is gonna be a difficulty. When the Lord is with you. So most of us know the story that God first trims down the army, right? Gideon has this army of 32,000, and, uh, and the Lord says, everybody who is fearful or timid, go back to the house. 22,000 people say, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to church today. 22,000 people. Sorry. The truth in my heart slipped out there. I, I should be more politically correct. But the fearful or timid 22,000 of, of 32,000 said, we're too afraid. God says, okay, now we got 10,000. Let's let everybody go to the, the waters and whoever sticks their head down in the water is, is to get a drink of water is gonna be disqualified. But everybody who just leans and keeps their head up and scoops water and just keeps looking because, you know, sometimes the blessing of the Lord can become a thing that we just get our heads so buried in and get overindulgent and not remember that that blessing is for our good, but you gotta keep your head up. So, so there's, all of a sudden, there's 9,700 people sent away. So the battle plan comes down to this. 300 people from 32,000 to 300. It's kind of like church attendance after COVID-19. Right, from 32,000 to 300. And then the 300 are broken into three groups of 100. And here's the battle plan from heaven. Take pictures uh, of, you know, that would shine a light and a trumpet and at the Lord's command, break the pictures and sound the trumpet. That doesn't sound like a good plan to me. That, that does not sound like a plan that's gonna help me defeat an army that's kept us in oppression for years. But the point behind all of it is when God gets involved, all the Midianites end up turning against each other, and this is the craziest plan ever. It's not going the direction that anybody logically would go into. The pivot point in all of this is God is in it. And so I don't have a complicated message today, but I have an important message. The number one key to you succeeding, to me succeeding in life, in all of your plans, and all of your ways, to succeed for eternity's sake, the number one thing to break out of your confinement, 
is to make sure, is God in this? And am I in the thing that God is in? Because just as God chose Gideon, who is entirely imperfect, God has never found a perfect person to work with outside of Jesus. So there's never any perfect people for God to use. There's none to be found. Rick Warren says, God knew every flaw I had and still called me. And the reality is there's no perfect plans. There's no perfect ideas. It's him with us that makes all the difference. It's God's presence real in our life that makes the difference. When Suzette and I uh, first moved to Asheville 31 almost years ago now, the, we did not know how to start a church. We, you might say, well, you still don't know how to do a church, uh, and that might be true. But we had no idea. We just had this dream we just had this idea that of this church. And, and, and we came and spied out the land, and I remember we, we, there was a friend of ours that is, was in the area, or is in the area, was having a lady who had a prophetic ministry, and we're sitting in the back row with Tori, who just celebrated her 32nd birthday, but she was a baby with a pacifier in her mouth, sitting on that back row with us and, and Suzette was holding her and the lady comes all the way to the back row and prophesies over us using the same language that God was using in my prayer time. And then when, when, we, when we made the move here uh, a week before our church started and I've told the story how we started with three people and 500 bucks and a dream but a friend of mine knew that we only had 500 bucks so a week before our church started, he, a pastor in another town sent us $1,000 the week before we started. And then about two or three weeks into this, I get a phone call from a guy, and he says, hey, I'm in the area. I, I was trying to start a church in Asheville. It, never, it didn't work out. I've got some equipment, and he gave us like four or five microphones and a couple of speakers, and there really wasn't all that great of the stuff. But here's the, here's the thing. It wasn't the prophetic word. It wasn't the $1,000. It wasn't the four or five mics. It was this sense, God is with us on this thing. I remember when we were first building this building, and uh, as we're reaching the end, if you've ever built anything, you know when you reach the end, the budget can get tight, right? The budget, uh, the budget is the lie you tell yourself to get started. And I remember I, I was getting tempted to cut corners at the end of the project because we, we were running out of, of resources. And I, I felt the Lord say to me, uh, finish this thing right. Don't cut corners. Finish this thing right. The, the very next Saturday night prayer time that we had, one of the guys in our church walks up, hands me a $20,000 check. <sighs> Wherever you are, 
whatever you're going through, whatever you're coming out of, whatever you're going into, when you know God is with me. It, it, it's the most valuable asset you've got. As long as we know this is a God thing, that God is with us, all things are possible. Come on. I think that's the reason the Lord took 32,000 and broke it down to 300, because he just wanted to show, I don't need your army. I don't need your people. I just need to be with you. So wherever we are, wherever we feel like we're not, the Lord with us makes us capable. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy, our ability, our capability is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Hey, ever feel inadequate? Come on, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying in church, and I don't even know what's gonna happen. Our adequacy is from God. The Lord has made me adequate. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in other words, in clay pots, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Come on, you and I, we all have clay feet that go all the way up to our armpits. But what the Bible says is there is a treasure that's in the jar of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's in you is greater than you. I'm gonna say it again, because it was so good. What's in you is greater than you. Come on, you carry something in you that's greater than you. So the focus is not on the container, the focus is what's all in the container. Hello. The, the container is flawed. Come on. Look at your appropriately spaced neighbor and say, he's talking about you now. Let, let, me, let, me, let me help you. Get rid of some frustration. People are flawed. Your husband is flawed. Your wife is flawed. Watch all the men go real quiet right there. Church is flawed. Systems are flawed. This crazy world is flawed. 
Pastors are flawed. All right, don't get too loud about that one. But it's true. Church people are definitely flawed. Government is flawed. And if you're looking for perfect, if you're looking for the perfect spouse, the perfect church, the perfect pastor, the perfect government, come on, somebody. Somebody say amen. It's all flawed. It's all flawed. But God puts a treasure in earthen vessels. The value factor is not you. Hello. But it's what's in you. It's who is with you. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Whatever we're doing, whatever we're building, we want to make sure God's in it. And if you find out God's not in it, then you get out of it. Let me try this side of the room. If, if you find out God's not in it, get out of it. When, uh, because of our desire to make a difference in the next generation, we had this thought that we would start a school, that we could recreate the environment of our church in a school setting. And we literally built the annex with having a school in it in mind. But after four years and underwriting that school a half a million dollars, the tail started wagging the dog. Come on, anybody ever been in one of those situations where the tail was wagging the dog? And, and we, we weren't going in the right direction with our enrollment, four years. We weren't going in the right direction with trying to find leadership that could grow this thing. And finally, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, please step away from the school. You know, Jesus taught this, right? He came up on a tree, had no fruit. He said, cut the thing down. The guy says, give me one more year. Give it enough time, but, we willing, but be willing to walk away from the thing that you recognize God's not in it. And I think there are things that God has been in that he's not in anymore. And you want to make sure that when you are building, whatever you're building, that God is in it. Uh, the book of Acts, here's a, they, these guys are preaching the word and stirring up the city. In Acts 5, verse 38, uh, one of the leaders in the city says, in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. Next verse. It, but if it is of God, you will not 
be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. Now here's where you don't want to be found. Fighting against God. If, if God is in it, no man can destroy it. But if God is not in it, no man can make it happen. So find out what God is in and get in that. Instead of asking God to bless your plans, locate his plans because that's what's blessed. Surfers don't create waves, surfers catch waves. The ark of the Lord was symbolic of the presence of God in the Old Testament. And there's a story where the ark was being brought back to the city of David and they'd put it on a cart and at a point, the cart was upset, and the ark was about ready to tip over, and a man named Yuza reached out to steady the ark, and the Lord killed him. Anybody glad to be living in the New Testament, in the New Covenant? And David's, David was afraid to bring the ark of the Lord, symbolic of the presence of God, into the city of David, so the, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and said, I'm bringing that ark back to my house. Come on. And he brought it into the city of David with gladness. Wherever the presence of God was, there was blessing. Obed-Edom's house turned the corner into blessing because the presence of God had entered his house. Nothing was different except the presence of God, the reality of the presence of God. No new plans, no new tactics, no new strategies, the presence of God. Hey, listen, you don't have to have everything perfect in your house, in your business, in your church, if you'll be determined to host the presence of God in a real way in your life. Exodus 33, um, God is working with Israel. And he says, look, I'm just gonna send you into the promised land with an angel. Because if I go with you, I'll probably kill you. You might think, he didn't say that. Well, let's read it. Exodus 33, 2, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, <laughs> the Jebusite. I'll go up to a land flowing with, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. Dang. 
Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you've said, I'll know, I have known you by name. I've also found favor in my sight. You've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you, and I'll give you rest. It said, verse 15, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't even want to go. How then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us? So that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. I think that's a good posture. Your presence doesn't go with me. I'm not going. It's, it's for the believer saying, God, I just want to be wherever you are. I'm not interested in a promised land that doesn't include your presence. I'm not after blessing without you being there. God with us is our mark of distinction. Amen. You know, Suzette and I used to go on cruises, and I think it's interesting, because if you go on a cruise, there's good music, there's videos, there's children's programs, teen activities, there's food galore. And sometimes people would think if my church had good music and videos and great children's programs, teen activities, food, the last thing I want to become is cruise ship church. I like good music. I like taking care of our kids. I like food. But the distinction for us has to be God is with us. Come on. Hey, I want you to stand, if you would, please. We're going to worship for just a minute, but I want to pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, there's nothing that we would value more than a sense of your presence in a real way in our lives. So, Father, we make a fresh commitment as a house to say we want to be where you are. We want your presence in our world.